It'll be in Luke 2, verses 1 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn there to Luke 2, 1 through 14. This is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Today my message is on um, the greatest story ever told, which is the story of our Savior and, and His advent uh, to, to this earth. So since we're talking about the greatest story, I just wanted to do a little exploring and talk about what, what is it that makes a story great and why is a story so compelling um, to us. So I, I did some quick searching online and, and found a couple of articles about great storytelling and, and some of the things that, that I thought that spoke to me about what I love about a great story. And um, number one is drama. So a good story has got to have good drama to it, uh, meaning that it, that it has mystery or it creates some sort of tension or that there's suspense in the story. So good drama. Um, also, good stories have a lot of subplots that, that work together to produce the overall big story. Um, great characters, characters that when we, we see the characters, we can relate to them and we can feel emotion with those characters. And then, of course, all stories, great stories have great endings. Um, the best stories have great endings that resolve the issue at hand, but don't um, completely close it off so that there's always a little room for more at the end. There's like a teaser at the end of the story that um, keeps you thinking about the future and wanting to know more. So I'm not going to, I just want to use this as an example. I'm not going to preach a Star Wars sermon, um, but just think about the Star Wars saga for a moment. Um, and, and we can use that to kind of illustrate as an example some of these, these different topics, and, and then we can look at the text and, and apply those, those concepts to the text. So um, if you aren't familiar with the Star Wars saga, uh, this is, is going to have some spoilers in it. I'm sorry. If you haven't seen Star Wars, that's okay. But it's been out for quite a while now, so I, I'm not going to feel too bad about spoiling the story. Um, so the Star Wars saga follows the life and legacy of Anakin Skywalker. He starts off as a young boy. He's imbued with incredible powers. Through a series of terrible events, he succumbs to evil. He takes on the name Darth Vader, but in the end is redeemed and becomes a hero once again. The story is dramatic because of the tension you feel as Anakin suffers through life and battles his inner desire for love and happiness against his desire for power and his anger at those people around him he feels are holding him back. There's multiple stories within the overall saga that explain more about Anakin and how he grows into his destiny. 
Most of the characters in the story are flawed, but are still lovable and believable. Even Anakin himself, although he commits terrible atrocities, we still feel sad for him and we want him to be redeemed, even though we also desire that there be justice done against the dark side. In the end, we get exactly what we want. Justice is done against the evil emperor. Darth Vader is redeemed. But there's still the question of the future. And what is next for Luke and his friends now that the evil has been defeated? Now what? So now that I've just kind of talked through those, those elements there, let's, let's take a look at the text and we'll see why the story of Jesus is so much more powerful um, than, than any of stories that we could create as human beings. So starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So several key subplots that I want us to notice in this section. The state of the world at this time. Rome at this time in history is at the height of its power. The Roman Empire spreads across the entire known world. This meant that there was common language, there were roads, there was ease of movement throughout the entire world. What better time for Christianity to begin and to be able to spread throughout the world? Joseph went from Nazareth to Galilee to the hometown of his family line. To me, it's amazing how briefly this little section is kind of hit at in the text and then you move on. Um, it's really easy to miss really how rich that is that Nazareth went to Galilee to his hometown of his family, uh, that Joseph went um, from Nazareth to Galilee to the hometown of his family line. So Joseph came from Nazareth. In those days, Nazarenes were hated and despised by Judeans. It's pretty amazing that the God of the entire universe would be willing to be associated with these people. Joseph traveled to Bethlehem because he was of the lineage of David. This fulfilled several Old Testament prophecies. I'm going to read a couple of passages. You don't have to turn there. Um, just a couple of passages here. Several Old Testament prophecies. One, that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Another prophecy is that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. An interesting note about Bethlehem is that Bethlehem means the house of bread. What more appropriate place for the bread that came down from heaven to be born? So a question that I would ask is, why does it matter that Jesus was a descendant of David? I know that that's something I asked myself when I first started learning the story of Scripture, why does it matter? God is all-powerful. He can do whatever He wants. So why does He need the Messiah need to be a descendant from David? The answer to that question is very was amazing to me when, when I first learned it, um, and, and I hope it would be amazing to you as well. Um, going to do a quick trip through the Old Testament. Um, so if you can, quickly flip back to uh, Genesis chapter 2. We'll be starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, 
You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God has just finished creating the entire universe and has put the man in charge of it all. Man is the ruler of the earth at this moment. He has one rule to follow. Don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we all know what happens next. So let's flip over now quickly to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Adam, ruler of the earth, child of God, who walks in direct communion with the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, stands idly by as his wife is deceived by the serpent, acting as an agent of the devil, and then he himself ate the fruit breaking the command of God and bringing the wrath of God on himself and the entire human race. Never has there been a greater fall from grace than that of Adam. He had everything, and he lost it all. No longer is he ruler of the earth. That has been given over to Satan. This is important to catch. Rulership of the earth has passed from Adam to Satan. We have lost the kingdom, and now all of us bear the guilt of Adam's sin. What terrible news. But there is hope. Looking at verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Even though God could have killed Adam and Eve right then and there, He had mercy, and in fact made a promise to Eve that one day, one of her descendants would crush the head of the devil. This is the first glimmer of the gospel, the good news in Scripture. God has already begun to unfold His redemption story. Who is that descendant going to be? Is it just any descendant? So let's now turn to Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here God promises Abram, who would one day be called Abraham, that one day his descendants would be a great nation, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed through him. So Abram, who we know from Joshua chapter 24 verse 2, came from a family of idol worshipers, is redeemed by God, and is going to be an integral part of the story. And now look at Genesis chapter 17. Verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So we know that all the world will be blessed through the descendants of Isaac. And now over into Genesis chapter 22. 
Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, this is God speaking, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand in his, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. There's an awful lot we could talk about in this passage, but I want you to notice again the thread of redemption that we see here. God tested Abraham by commanding him to sacrifice his son, but then when Abraham proved his willingness to do so, God stopped Abraham and gave a ram as a replacement offering, thereby redeeming Isaac with the ram. Also note Abraham's incredible faith. In verse 5, he tells his servants that he and the boy will come back. Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac up from death. Now Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, although he was younger than Esau, was chosen by God to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Jacob is another very interesting character in this story. We don't have time to read the entire story here, but in Genesis chapter 5 and again in Genesis chapter 27, you can read the account of how Jacob manipulated Esau into selling his birthright to him for a bowl of stew. And later, Jacob, with the help of his mother, tricks his father Isaac into giving Esau's blessing to him. Literally, Jacob's name means supplanter, a perfect fit for Jacob. However, God made a promise that Jacob would be the one through whom the promise would be fulfilled. You don't have to turn there, but in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Since God always fulfills his promises, he redeems Jacob spends several years working out Jacob's character flaws, and later, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and he is officially installed as the patriarch of the Jewish people. 
So how is David connected to Jacob? Let's take a look into an often overlooked book of the Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verses 1-15. through 15. These are the sons of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. These three, Bathshua, the Canaanite, bore to him. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. His daughter-in-law Tamar also bore him Perez and Zerah. Judah had five sons in all. The sons of Perez, Hezron and Hamel, the sons of Zerah, Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Calcol, and Dera, five in all. The son of Carmi, Achan, the troubler of Israel, who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing. And Ethan's son was Azariah. The sons of Hezron that were born to him, Jeremiel, Ram, and Chelebi. Ram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashon, prince of the sons of Judah. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered Eliab, his firstborn, Abinadab the second, Shemaiah the third, Nethanel the fourth, Radai the fifth, Ozem the sixth, and David the seventh. So in the story of David, we can see the thread of redemption displayed. We definitely don't have time to read David's entire story as it makes up a huge part of the Old Testament narrative. However, at a very high level, David was the youngest of all of his father's sons. Very odd that he would be chosen to be the king of God's people. He slayed the giant Goliath as a boy, was hated and hunted by Saul the king for many years, was finally installed as king where he abused his position to steal the wife of one of his most trusted warriors whom he later had assassinated. But despite all of these character flaws and troubles, he was called a man after God's own heart and was redeemed by God and was ultimately one of the greatest kings Israel ever had. So now we have a single thread that connects David all the way back to the first promise God made to Adam and Eve in the garden. Roughly 3,000 years of time passed from Adam and Eve to David and then another 1,000 years from David to the birth of Christ where we find ourselves now. And through it all, we see the theme of redemption woven into every character where it grows stronger and stronger until its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Going back to our Star Wars example, Three movies over a few years to tell that story. And it's regarded as one of the greatest stories ever told. That story can't even hold a candle to the incredible miracle that is the story of redemption that is the foundation and a thread throughout all of human history. So now we can say with the prophet Isaiah, Lord, You are my God. I will exalt You and praise Your name. For in perfect faithfulness You have done wonderful things. Things planned long ago. So now looking back to Luke chapter 2, let's look and see the rest of the story of the coming of this promised king who is connected all the way back to Adam. So starting back in Luke 2, starting from verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So the Messiah, the promised king of the world, through whom every family on earth would be blessed, was born to Mary out of wedlock, a despicable beginning in ancient Israel, born in a barn, 
Jesus, who sat at the right hand of God Almighty from before the foundation of the world, robed in majesty unlike anything we can possibly imagine, chose to enter this world in what could be argued as the most lowly state possible. So far we've seen drama, subplots, great characters. But what about the ending? So in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ to the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. The promised Savior, the Redeemer through whom all the world will be blessed, has been born. Even the angels in heaven rejoice at His coming. This should cause all of us to feel incredible joy. What was lost in the garden has been regained in Christ and given to us. So now what? Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So there's always more to know. Just like all good stories and all good endings, there's more to know. So now that Christ has reconciled us to God, what are we supposed to do with that? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has taken back authority over the earth from Satan. And then what does he do? He gives it to us. This isn't just a gift for us. It is a gift that has been given. It is a gift that is to be given through us. We are the blessing to the whole world. What an incredible story. What will we do now? How will you finish the story? Here are three things that we can use to apply and how we can follow through and and work through what God has given us and the commandment that He has given us. Number one, is to recognize the incredible sovereignty of God that has woven together the story of redemption from eternity past and your own need for that redemption. So we have to recognize within ourselves not only the story of God and what He has done throughout all of human history, but we have to recognize that that story is not just broadly delivered to the entire world, but is delivered to us individually. Number two, We should respond to God's call to be a part of this story. The call for our personal salvation 
and the command to go and share this gospel with others. So God, in His own wisdom, has chosen not only to redeem us, but uses us as an integral part of His story. God has the power to redeem all of mankind, but has chosen to work His redemption plan through us. Finally, number three, rejoice in knowing that you can now be a part of the greatest story ever told. Greater than any story that man can invent, any other story that we could possibly dream up, the story of redemption is by far the most incredible story that has ever been told and has ever been throughout the history of mankind. And we can be a part of that story. Thank you, God, for the amazing story of redemption that you wrote before the foundation of the world. Thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself through the gift of your Son. Thank you that you are working your plan through us and that we have an opportunity to not only read the story, but to be a part of it. As we continue here in prayer, I just want to give an opportunity to anyone in this room who has not yet decided to be a part of God's story. You are missing out on adding a few pages of your own to the masterpiece that is God's redemptive plan for mankind. I can tell you the story is not always easy, but when you respond to God's call and truly discover your purpose in life, you will never be more fulfilled and filled with joy. If you want to be a part of this story and experience the incredible joy that only He can provide, you can do it today. Simply acknowledge in your heart that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and ask Him to save you the way He has saved so many others throughout history. You can call out to Jesus for salvation right where you sit right now while I pray, while we sing the last song, or wherever you discern the Holy Spirit calling you to believe and trust in Jesus. You have elders and deacons here who would love to talk to you and help you understand what it means to be a new Christian. Father, if there is one in this room who has not yet responded to your gospel call, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move in them today. Thank you for your son. Remind us, God, through the next several weeks about what you have done for us and remind us to pass along what you have given to others. In Jesus' name, amen. And the last thing I would say would be a blessing. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.